I assume that you'd like to start with a joke again. I would like to start with a joke. Are you ready for my joke? I am ready. All right. I picked this one just for you as a Spider-Man fan. Oh, okay. That's exciting. All right. Yeah. Did you know that Spider-Man has a whole winter jacket made entirely of Mediterranean flatbread? It's a pita parka. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, one one of my favorite visuals from Spider Man history is probably in the mid 2000s, there was an issue where there was a huge blizzard. In New York and, you know, Spider-Man had to be out for whatever reason. So he basically stuffed his Spider-Man suit with a bunch of, like, garbage and newspapers and stuff to stay warm. <laughs> because he's Spider-Man. Um, and it just looked hilarious. It kind of looked like, do you remember that Missy Elliott music video where she was in the inflated yeah, I don't bodysuit, tracksuit thing? Uh-huh. It kind of looked like that. <laughs> <laughs> So, was he lumpy? I hope he was lumpy. Oh, he was super lumpy, and then he had Excellent. a very tiny head that was completely disproportionate. <laughs> so, and like tiny little fingers and stuff, it it just looked hilarious. Nice. See, he needed a pita parka. <laughs> he did. If only he'd had it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, everybody listening, welcome to uh, Why Did You Read That episode two. Too. Yeah, what a milestone. Um, on this show, it's uh, me, I'm Peter, and Megan. Hello. And uh, we basically talk about some books that we've read. Um, we have kind of different tastes. And, uh, you know, as a way of recommending books slash talking about books and bringing books into your life. So um, I did it the same as last time. I don't know if you did. I picked four and figured you could pick two of my four. That's what I did as well. Hey, perfect. Um, I think I went first last time. Is that... You did. Okay, so do you want to go first this time? Sure. Uh, right. So you want to hear my four titles and then you'll pick the first one? Oh, yeah. So maybe you should tell me your four. I'll tell you my four and we'll go from there. Okay. All right. All right. So my first one is a bit unusual. Um, as you know, I occasionally review books for a library journal. And so this is one that they sent to me to review. So it's not out until July. So keep that in mind. All right. It's called It Happened One Summer by Tessa Bailey. And did you watch the TV show Shit's Creek? I sure did. I enjoyed it well, thoroughly. This book is basically Tessa Bailey writing Alexis Rose's Happily Ever After. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, the second one is called In Darkness, Shadows Breathe by Catherine Cavendish. And that's basically like gothic horror set in a hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, the third is called The Love Square by Laura Jane Williams. And it's about a woman who can't find love and then all of a sudden has three boyfriends. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And oh, then I get number it now. four. Love like love triangle, love, but a square. Yeah, love square. <laughs> <laughs> and then the fourth one is Blacktop Wasteland by S.A. Cosby. And it's like a grit lit slash country noir version of the transporter. Hmm. Okay. Well, I think one of these obviously appeals to me in a big bad way. 
Um, okay. So let's, well, wait, should I do my four, I guess? And then that'll um, give you You time. know, we can start with me and then you can do your four so I don't forget. Okay. Um, let's start with Blacktop Wasteland. That sounds like, right. uh, that sounds like my wheelhouse big time. All right. Yeah, it was, I mean, I thought it was really great. Um, it stars this guy, well, the main character is this guy named Beauregard Montage. His nickname <laughs> is Bug. I know, great, there are great names in this book. And it's set somewhere in like the South, I want to say like Virginia or one of the Carolinas, although I have to admit, I don't remember. Um, and he is like, he, he's a family man. He has a few kids, he has a wife and uh, he has a past as one of the like premier getaway drivers. Um, his dad was a getaway driver and he kind of grew up in that world and he became that um, and then tried to clean up his life, you know, to be uh, uh, there for his kids, there for his wife. So now he is a mechanic. He owns his own shop and he has his kids and he has a mom with a terminal illness who is in a nursing home and he's balancing all of this with his, with his, you know, his work as a, as a mechanic. And then the way life does, everything kind of falls to pieces. His kids need glasses. They need braces. His mom is about to lose her spot in the nursing home unless they can pay a bunch of money. And so he gets drawn in for one more job. <laughs> uh, that's one of my favorite setups. One last yep. big score. <laughs> one last job. And we all know how that goes. <laughs> so he gets approached by these two kind of white trashy guys, um, drug addicts. They're like not that bright. Uh, and they have this idea to hit a jewelry store and they need um, a getaway driver. And he is the best. And so they approach him, even though he's retired. And they get him at the right time when he really needs money. And so he agrees to kind of get, get in on it. And they um, set up the job. He kind of arranges everything because he's the smartest of the bunch. And he's the one with the most to lose. And they hit the jewelry store. And it turns out that the owner of the jewelry store is someone you don't want to rob. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, yeah. boy. Yeah. So there's, uh, there's tons of, like, chase scenes, which are really exciting. And double and triple crosses and and you know it's it's basically like a really beautifully written um crime like action drama and i thought it was really great <laughs> well it sounds pretty excellent sounds like it's got it was, those yeah. like core elements that i love i love one last yeah. job that's always i always said if i was a criminal i'm gonna do one second to last job and then afterwards be like, oh, wait, that was the last job. Just kidding. Whoops. And then it's too late. Yeah. And <laughs> I lied. Like, I'm I done. had my fingers crossed. Hey, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> you got to plan out all your jobs. And then when yeah. you get to the second to last, that's when it's time to get out. Yeah. Unceremoniously. Just leave town. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think this is one that you would really enjoy, too, because there's some really interesting character development around Bug. And uh, he's he's got these very strong conflicting emotions because he loves the driving. He loves the, the thrill of everything. And he also knows that's the worst thing for his family. <laughs> and he's, so he's struggling a lot with like, which version of myself am I like, can I be the dad without, you know, am, am I capable of letting this go? Right. That's kind even of cool. when it's really terrible. <laughs> Some really bad things happen. It reminds me of, um, well, I had a, okay, I had a history teacher in high school, um, the name Beauregard. Mm -hmm. So 
there was, I think he was a general in the Civil War, some some guy from the South. And I yeah. think, if I remember correctly, his name was Pierre Gustave Toutain Beauregard. Wow. <laughs> this teacher loved this. When this guy came up in the history class, he's like, I love when we get to this part because I like saying this name over and over. <laughs> it's his. It was his favorite name from history because it was like, wow, they really went for it with that name. <laughs> I mean, hey, here you are all these years later and you remember it. I know. I was like, I don't really remember anything about him. I don't really know what he did. But I remember my history teacher going, Pierre Gustave Toutain Beauregard. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, he'd be doing the lecture on that part and be like, and then in comes Pierre Gustave Toutain Beauregard. That's awesome. See, and you could look him up. So that's the important thing. You I know, could. now you know his name and you could look him up. And I may have like transposed a couple of those, you know, it could be Pierre yeah. Toutain Gustave. I'm not totally sure, but it's certainly close enough that I could get there. Yeah. That's what Google's for. Yeah. <laughs> the history teacher planted the seed and now I can follow I can follow that trail back if I Exactly. if I got curious. I <laughs> the sign of a truly good teacher. <laughs> it's one of those things. I'm like I should really find out what that guy did cuz his name yeah. is just rattling around in my head. Hopefully he wasn't like a horrible evil jerk. I really don't know. <laughs> well, if you play, you know, if he was a general for the south, that's a tick against him. It is, yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't bode well for uh, yeah. his actions. Although I, I don't even know for sure that that's what he was. So I shouldn't. Right. I don't want to besmirch not... his bad name, but also right. don't want to defend his good name. I really have no <laughs> idea beyond the name. <laughs> we'll just say that he existed and he had an epic name. He was definitely a guy, and yeah, most known for having a name that my high school history teacher really enjoyed saying. There was this, uh, I think he was like an engineer or an inventor or something in England who had an epic name that I always remember. His name was Eisenbard Kingdom Brunel. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Yeah. I just, you know, someone, there's a, there's a like newspaper column out there or something just called Epic Names. And they interview the parents of some kids and it's like, how did, just, you know, what kingdom? That's an interesting Eisenbar? Yeah. Eisenbard Kingdom Brunel. Like, where did that come from? He was, I from? think, in a rom the Romantics. Like, Because I know that he was around in the time of Ada Lovelace, who was Lord Byron's daughter. Mm -hmm. So maybe Victorian. He, actually, he was probably Victorian. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they, great name. I know. They really, they really did go for it back in the day. Mm -hmm. It was like, yeah. They wouldn't be... Richard? No, Eisenbar. <laughs> <laughs> How about Pierre? How about Pierre Gustave Toutain? <laughs> <laughs> That's like, the one. Yeah, I want that column in there because I want, you know, an interviewer to be like, so when you had Pierre Gustave, what, what about that made you say, no, we need something more. That's not enough. <laughs> <laughs> we need a, a little bit, just a little extra flair on the end. <laughs> Um, so would you say, it sounds like this book might be like a good, you know, if you're into those sort of like, uh, no country for old men kind of things. Well, I haven't read no country for old men, but I have read McCarthy, Cormac McCarthy. And I, I think so. Yeah. Um, it's definitely 
you know, solidly crime lit. It's not that kind of like super literary. This is not, you know, those books that, that the Nobel, you know, committee looks at, um, which is their loss as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) (laughs) But I do think he's a super talented writer and the atmosphere in this one, it's like super gritty. If you like like winter's bone, that kind of grit lit, that country, you know, feel, I think this is, this would be a great pick. Now, what do you think about it as like crossover? Like, let's say I'm a big uh, Jack Reacher fan and maybe I dabble in the occasional Southern Gothic grit lit kind of thing. I think so. I think if you like a good car chase, like there are some really epic car chases. There's a great one where I don't want to give it away, but like they, they have this car, this van like filled with, um, this really expensive metal that they're trying to steal and they're being chased by the people who originally stole it and they have to get rid of the car. And like, how do you do that when you have like five miles of road before, you know, anyway, gotcha. It reminds me of, yeah, I don't um, want to give it, I don't want to give anything away, but I also want to gush about it. <laughs> there's a, it's really clever. The guy, Richard Stark, he wrote those Parker novels. That are I know of them, but crime. I haven't read them. They're they're pretty fun. They're uh, they're like noirish, a little dark, but also, mm-hmm. yeah. There's one that starts with a heist where they basically really souped up a Volkswagen Beetle in a bunch of mm-hmm. ways. So it looked like a Beetle, but it was really like the ultimate escape vehicle. <laughs> and so yeah, they could kind yeah, of yeah. escape That's undercover. A lot like, this. like he has his dad's old. Um, I wish I could. I don't know cars, but it's like some fancy old muscle car that belonged to his dad. And uh, he he has it all like souped up, and he you know people he could, he does these drag races sometimes like on the old country roads just to keep that little thrill in his life. And people always think you know that it's it's a nice car, but it's not going to be my car. And then he like really hits the gas and knocks him out of the park. <laughs> it's really it's good stuff. I I'm a sucker for an action movie, so this hit all of like my car chase. Um, double cross buttons good stuff uh, okay that's probably yeah i'm also an action movie fan so it sounds like a winner yeah i would recommend it all right should i should i give you my four hit me um number one is called x-men grand design uh this is basically a retread of a bunch of x-men history um in an interesting sort of way one is called Black Sad by Juan Diaz Canales. Um, it's a comic book as well. It's like beautifully drawn, uh, kind of a noir thing. I think I've seen the cover of that one. Probably. It's like a cat. It is. It's a big cat's yeah. face and the cat is smoking a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> as you do. Which is, uh, I was about to say it's not as weird as that sounds, but it's pretty weird. Okay. Uh, one is called Raised in Captivity, fictional nonfiction, or non, nonfiction, fiction, fictional nonfiction by Chuck Klosterman. Would you like to try that again? (laughs) One is called Raised in Captivity, fictional nonfiction by Chuck Klosterman. (laughs) Okay. What does he mean by fictional nonfiction? Um, it's basically short stories, and I guess the best way I can describe it is it's like, uh, an unusual fictional thing happens, and then the way the story plays out is almost like he's trying to imagine how this unusual thing would play out in the real world. 
Okay. Gotcha. Um, and the last one is called Solutions and Other Problems by Allie Brosh. Uh, cool. She's best known for hyperbole and a half. Maybe if you've seen the meme, clean all the things. Mm-hmm. Um, that's her. And I've actually read this one, too, uh, which kind of makes me want to pick it because I'm curious what you thought. Um, but I'm going to start with Black Sad just because it had already kind of crossed my radar and I wasn't quite sure if I should read it or not. All right. So Black Sad uh, by Juan Diaz Canales. And the artist is named, I think you would pronounce this, Juanjo Guardino, Guardino. Um They're both Spanish from Spain. Okay. And okay. Uh, it's kind of a hard-boiled detective comic book. Um, oh, so we have a theme. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this one's very closely related to yours. Um, it's very, it's very noir. It's very like on the waterfront kind of thing. Oh, I um, love that movie. And the the illustrations are very uh, gorgeous. They have kind of almost a watercolor look, but they're also uh, they're very tight. They're not like loose illustrations. Sometimes in comics, you'll see very painty, painted looking illustrations, and then you see the word balloons, and it doesn't make sense to me. Um, but these like walk the line perfectly. Um, weirdly it's, uh, Spanish creators, but they make it for the French comics market. Cause there's like a big market for comics in France hmm. and then it gets translated to Spanish. And then over time it's gotten popular. So it got translated to English. So we got it way later than France and Did Spain. Did it get translated from the French text or from the Spanish text? Like I'm curious how many times it's been translated. I think it gets translated from the French. So, because they make it, it it first comes out in French. So, I I don't know. I'd have to look. I assume that the the writer speaks French. Um, Right. I mean, I would hope that they would translate it from the original and not from a translation. (laughs) A translation of a translation. It gets pretty weird. I mean, at some point, because this one's been translated into so many languages and you're like, well... I, I don't know. Like, I'm not really sure. <laughs> um, but you'd never you'd never know reading it that it was like a translation. Whoever translated translates it does a really amazing job. Um, so here's the big thing. The weirdest part is everybody in the world of Black Sad is an animal person. Um, the closest analogy I can make is maybe like if you've seen BoJack Horseman. And, okay. you know, there's like a horseman and a bird woman and so on um and it's not it's not silly in the way that bojack horseman is and like for the most part these animal people don't uh exhibit the qualities of their animal species they all basically seem human Mm -hmm. so even though uh this guy has a rhino face and that lady is a giraffe they're basically more similar than they are different if that makes sense they all walk on two legs i don't think that the like bird people can fly or anything like that even though they have sort of wings it's or they i guess they have arms you know they don't have wings it's it's a weird blend of uh like just their heads are animals yeah and then like you know uh cats will have fur a snake man will have arms and legs but he'll also have scales (laughs) <laughs> it's it's really so about strange. This, this is a bit of a, a sidebar. Sure. Giraffe woman. Is her neck as long as a giraffe's? I, you know, I don't even remember if there is a giraffe woman. Oh, okay. It seems like they like, go. How, 
do you have to have a special house? Do you live in a loft? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's like another thing. I mean, there's sort of, I would call it light animal attributes. So, for example, uh, there's a guy who's a hippo, and he's bigger than, you know, most of the other animals. And there's a, a guy who's a weasel, and he's, you know, smaller than a, a cat man, but not, like, right. significantly He's not the hippo doesn't size? weigh two tons. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So the hippo would be like a real big dude, and then uh, you know the weasel would be like a fairly small dude. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, I gotcha. Sorry, didn't mean to derail no, no. you. I just got curious. <laughs> it's weird because like getting into it, I didn't really know. I was like, I I don't understand. Are they animals? Are they people? Like, what's going on? And after finishing it, I can't honestly say that there's a particular reason that the animals are, um, that the the characters are certain animals as opposed to other certain animals. Um, it's not like, uh, you know, Mouse by Art Spiegelman, which is like about the Holocaust and the Jewish people are all represented as mice and the Nazis are all cats, you know? And, right. So you're like, okay, there's kind of an animal kingdom analogy happening here. Um, it's not so much like that. And in fact, uh, there is one story element that I overthought and confused myself on because there's a, uh, one of the stories has to do with like a suburb of the city and uh, Black Sad, that's the name of the, the detective, um, Catman. Mm -hmm. And uh, and by the way, they they mostly have like normal names. They don't have funny names like you know butterscotch or whatever. <laughs> um, butterscotch. Yeah. So anyway, he like uh, goes to this suburb and ends up kind of entangled in breaking up this uh, like white power group. And the white power group is made up of animals that have like white fur, but the animals are all of different species. So I was like hmm. overthinking this and got really lost in the metaphor because <laughs> I was like, I, I'm confused. But what you know, you just have to get, go with it. Yeah. But anyway, I, wanted... I don't know. Maybe it's a very deep statement on how superficial the white supremacy movement is. Yeah, maybe. It's very like, what's the word I'm looking for? Arbitrary. Uh, yeah, it's pretty nonsensical. I mean, maybe the, the nonsensical thing in it in the book is, yeah, you're right. Maybe it represents the nonsensical actual thing. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, I wanted to recommend it mostly because it you have to give it like a few pages or something before you kind of get into it and whatever. And I, reading it, I was like, I can see how the appearance of this could be a turnoff for a lot of people because it. You know, to use a, a term that if you aren't familiar with it, don't Google it at work, do it at home. Um, oh. But it, it seems like almost a furry thing or something like that. Oh, um, yeah. And I don't think it is, but I could see how someone picking it up and flipping through would be like, nope, not for me. Um, okay. So I wanted to recommend it because it's uh, the writing is good. The stories are kind of these like small mysteries that are sort of based in our reality so if you like that stuff that like on the waterfront kind of stuff or even like those parker books and that kind of thing if yeah, you like the, the postman always rings twice yeah yep you like that hard-boiled detective stuff it's great i mean it's okay. very very good and like you start to appreciate the art style and how 
detailed it is and how the style lends itself to the story and everything. So I highly recommend it with the caveat of like, you know, just get over it, I guess. Get over yourself. You're not too good to read this. <laughs> I don't Whoa, know, I don't know how else to put it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how else to put it, but it's like, uh, you know. Um, you don't have to worry that this is like a subculture thing that you don't understand. Maybe that's the best okay. way to put it. Okay. So give it a try. Yeah. I, I yeah. say give it a whirl. It's pretty fun. Cool. Uh, um, also, just to be clear, I don't, I didn't mean to say like a furry thing as in like me making a judgment about furries or something <laughs> like that. It's just a, uh. Not a common thing that you come across all the time. Sure. You're just dripping in judgment today. Peter. I know. I know. <laughs> judging people for reading a comic, judging them for not reading the same comic. <laughs> <laughs> Can't help myself. Rain it in. <laughs> um, okay. Let me think here. I'm very tempted about the uh, the Schitt's Creek book. I think I'm going to go with that because I feel like yeah. now that Schitt's Creek has ended... Maybe some people yeah. are looking for a sort of continuation of that, the uh, yeah. Schitt's creek averse. And poor Alexis didn't get her, you know, her happy ending. Made me sad. So I was all in for this because of that. Well, and uh, I have to say in our house, the uh, Alexis, little bit Alexis song is kind of on a regular rotation. <laughs> <laughs> it just seems to come oh. up quite often. Yeah. That show was, for me, just perfection. I absolutely love it. <laughs> it was pretty great. There are just yeah. a lot of... If you've never seen it, it's about a uh, very wealthy family who loses all their money. And then they're forced to move to a town called Schitt's Creek, spelled S-C-H-I-T-T, um, which the sort of patriarch of the family bought as a joke. Because yeah, you know, a gag gift for his son. <laughs> yeah, because it was just, he, ha ha ha, look at the name of this town. And for whatever reason, it's the only asset they have after losing all their money. Yeah. Um, so, so they move there and... Uh, live in the motel? <laughs> yeah, they live in the motel. And it's a very, like, uh, fish-out-of-water thing at first. Yeah. This is like It's a also very... super feel-good. Like, these are, you know, at heart, nice people. All of them are, are nice people, you know, trying to live their life the best they can, you know. Trying to become better people. I'll say the the worst part of watching it for me was uh, my partner. We watched it together, and she was often commenting on how handsome she found Eugene Levy. And <laughs> she was like, "His eyebrow game is really on point," you know. And then she was like, "Daniel Levy's so lucky because he knows he's going to grow up and look just like his dad and be handsome and stuff." And I was like, "All right, we get it. You love Eugene Levy." <laughs> And he does not, you know what, though? I seem to recall you had some very bushy eyebrow happenings when we shared an office. Well, that's the worst so, you part. Know, yeah, I'm like, hey, there's a set of bushy eyebrows right next to you on the sofa. <laughs> you know, well, you, maybe, maybe this is why she's with you, because of your strong <laughs> eyebrows. You know, she's with me because uh, she, she had a thing for Eugene Levy, and this was the next best thing. <laughs> Yeah. She's like, there's the eyebrows I can see myself with. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you just get lost in those eyebrows all day. 
You know, just to bring it back briefly, uh, Pierre Gustave Toutain Beauregard, I seem to recall one day I came into work uh, with an eyebrow that I did not realize was so long. So long and I, I remember this event. Yeah, and I think you came up with the name Gustave for that That is eyebrow. true. <laughs> and I took a picture of Gustave and I still have it. <laughs> it was a it was a pretty good one. You know, I've yeah. been toying with the idea because uh during quarantine and stuff, we weren't seeing anyone. I was like, maybe I should just see how long this will get. Yeah. yeah maybe this is maybe my chance. Did Gustav come back? Because I remember you either tweezed him or, or gave him the chop. You know, I can only assume he did. I, I have several Gustavs now, so it's hard <laughs> to say that there's, you know, one or the other, whether or not it's him. Yeah, um, the return of Gustav. Yeah. Gustav Jr., you know, I had to buy a trimmer that has like a guard on it so that, and I just run it over my entire eyebrow. That's the only you know, way I can deal. I don't know why you're wasting your time when you have someone at home who's waiting for a bushy eyebrow. Yeah. I mean, maybe what I really need to do is just get some hair gel and I'll be good yeah. to go. <laughs> Enhance the bushy. Oh yeah. Lean in. Is that what that means? <laughs> yes. That is what it means. <laughs> Okay, okay, let's pull back from the weirdness. All right. <laughs> uh, so the book is called It Happened One Summer, and it's by Tessa Bailey. Um, like I said, it's not out until July 13th, so my apologies. But we do have other Tessa Bailey books in the collection, although I will say I've read some of her other books, and this, I think, is my favorite of hers. So just a caveat. But it's about a woman named Piper Bellinger. And she is like Alexis, you know, she comes from a rich family. Her stepfather works in Hollywood and her mom is like a stay at home. Like she goes to Pilates and, you know, they're, they're nice people, but they're not familiar to me. <laughs> you know, this is not a love style I'm familiar with. And she spends her days basically being, you know, a party girl, wild child, um, society princess, you know, she makes the tabloids, she's an Instagram influencer, you know, she takes lots of selfies and, um, she's popular for being popular basically and for being beautiful. So she's at this party and the guy she's dating who she's been dating for a record breaking three weeks, <laughs> uh, decides that he is tired of hanging out. He doesn't think she has a lot of substance. And so he's going to break up with her at this party. And, she is not feeling great about herself, so she decides that she is going to, you know, let everybody see how great she is by breaking into a hotel's pool after hours and throwing a party. And it gets really, really out of hand, and, like, there are helicopters <laughs> involved, <laughs> and she gets arrested. So while she's in jail, thinking about, you know, the state of her life— her stepfather says he's going to leave her there, but her sister bails her out anyway. And when she gets home, you know, the law of the land is laid down. He's like, you know, that's it. You're in exile now. I'm sending you to Westport, Washington, which is this tiny fishing village where her birth father lived. He was a fisherman and um, died when she was young. And so her mom moved out of that town because she couldn't stand the memories and moved to L.A. And that's where she met the stepfather. So she doesn't really know much about her, her her actual father, but he had a bar that he left to his daughters 
So he's going to, you know, her stepfather is going to send her to Westport and, you know, she's going to live in above this bar in the apartment above the bar and, uh, you know, think about what she did, basically. (laughs) (laughs) This is like an epic timeout that she's about to experience. And like, he's also giving her, I think, the chance to prove that she, you know, to make amends, maybe, you know, to say that she learned her lesson, kind of. So... You know, you can picture this girl in like her her spike heels and her big fluff, floppy hat and like her seventeen suitcases, and she pulls up in front of this totally trashed dive bar that is full of these grizzled fishermen drinking, you know, Pabst Blue Ribbon, right? Nice. <laughs> yeah. So talk about your fish out of water story. <laughs> and she walks in, and um, immediately there's this guy Brendan was this fishing boat captain, dark beard, uh, no-nonsense type, and they immediately don't like each other. You know, he's like, this this girl has no substance, and she's like, this guy is a jerk, um, which, of course, means that they're going to fall in love. Those are the rules. <laughs> yeah, naturally. Yeah. So, but in the meantime, like, she's living above this bar, and there are, like, rats, and, you know, it's it's very dirty. It's kind of falling apart. She's sleeping on bunk beds with her sister, uh, and she's um she's starting to get to know the town and there is this like sweet little old man who his sons run the hardware store and she starts walking him to the um to the museum so that he can climb up the stairs because he's not stable enough to get up the stairs on his own so she goes with him so that he can walk up the stairs and sit in the shade and you know she meets her uh paternal grandmother who she didn't even know was there and starts like putting down roots and starting to wonder like who who is the real Piper Ballinger a little bit you know like is she this small town girl with connections or is she the society socialite who you know everyone is taking all these glamorous pictures of um, and she was a great character and it had it's a really spicy love story so if you like a little spice in your books um, it's there. Um, but I, I just thought it was so charming. I read it in like a day and a half and woke up like at 5 a.m. and couldn't get back to sleep. So I decided I'd read it. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, I really loved it. It was a feel good. You know, I'm looking for feel good right now because the world is not the way I would prefer it to be. <laughs> Whatever, <laughs> Dee. <laughs> I know. <laughs> So, yeah, sitting down with, like, this really kind of happy book where the people are fundamentally nice and care about each other and watching her, like, accept herself, you know, in all of her, you know, spike heels and she can be, like, a genuine person was nice. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. It was great. Just, like, a a very pleasant, fun reading experience. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, that. and you know, there are those moments of angst where, you know, someone will say something mean to her or, you know, there's always that dark moment in love stories where it's like, are they going to manage to figure it out? Sure. Um, but that's the joy of the romance is that the answer is always yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's not whether or not, it's how. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it was really good. Um, I forgot what I was about to ask. Shoot. Uh Uh-oh. To tie it into our first episode, this fishing village, do they have any lifting stones (laughs) that determine whether or not you're, you know, fit to to work on a fishing boat? 
No, they don't have lifting stones. I'm I'm sorry to say, but you know, you do have to be kind of a grizzled, strong kind of guy to to work on a fishing boat. For sure. Um, yeah. Well, when you come across, and I'm saying when, not if, the uh, romance oh, yeah. that in, that deeply involves lifting stones, I trust you'll let me know. And then... you know what? I bet I could find one because <laughs> back in the day in Scotland, they were not allowed to use weapons for a while because of the the conflicts between England and Scotland. And so to train, they would do stuff like throw trees and and throw giant rocks. Well, so I bet I could find one for you. Scotland is very famous for its lifting stones. That's probably the most lifting stone dense country in the world. Well, see, there you go. That that's probably why. Including the Dinny stones, which let's we'll we can just stop talking about <laughs> stones. I am a little bit astonished at how deep your knowledge of rocks goes, and I'm not talking like minerals. I'm talking like stones. <laughs> You know, I have, it doesn't sound impressive. I have a collection of two books on stone lifting specifically. And the only reason I have two is because I think that's all there is. <laughs> so on one hand, two isn't impressive, but 100% of the collection is pretty yeah. good. <laughs> so are we putting a call out into the universe to either A, have publishing, release more books about stone lifting, or B, if someone knows of one, to let us know? Yeah. Yeah, if someone's like, oh, I read this book, fiction or non, I'll take either. But uh, stone lifting, if it's a fairly central topic, I'm interested. I'm in. I'm into it. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's you know, it's an unusual interest, but let me ask that's you okay. this about the book. It happened one summer, right? Mm -hmm. um, does this kind of give you so like you watch Shit's Creek and if you were sort of craving more time in that that world, does this kind of like scratch the same itch? I know it's not identical, but does it yeah. have that same vibe a little bit? I thought so. Um, you know, the whole appeal for me of Shit's Creek is that you have this kind of quirky small town and the people are a little weird, but they're also like they're great like there's no one in that show that i'm like that person's terrible and i wish they would never be on screen again or i wish something terrible would happen to them like they're all at the core like kind of nice fun people and you know in this weird place and watching you know the rose family kind of settle in and make it their home and like they grow as people over the course of the show and i think that that is kind of what it happened one summer is like it's not the Rose family. Like it's just Piper. It's, you know, not her whole family and it's not set over the course of years. Like this is just literally one summer. It's like three months um, that she is set to be there. So it's not the same, but she is kind of a person who's struggling with, you know, how to get people to like her um, and how to be true to herself. And she's a nice person who, doesn't quite know how to make a place for herself in the world. And this town is kind of, you know, unique and odd and she finds it hard to fit in, but at the heart of it, they're nice people too. And, you know, you kind of just want everyone to like be happy. And I think that was for me, a lot of the appeal of Schitt's Creek. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Now that you mention it, I guess it's a show. It doesn't really have like a villain or something, you know, it's not like they're, yeah. They don't usually come up against something like, oh, there's an evil plot. Some developer wants to build condos, so they have to, you know, whatever. Right. It's a lot more, um, 
one-on-one relationship stuff, I guess. Yeah. Is where the, the conflict comes in, but. Yeah, it's them not really knowing how to fit in. And, you know, the people from that town not really understanding them and how they kind of start to get on the same page as each other. Yeah, pretty great. I love it. It's so good. I need to rewatch it now. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Should we do our, our last book? Yes. And I am a bit torn. But I think I'm going to go with the one I haven't read and ask about Raised in Captivity, because this idea of, idea of fictional nonfiction is intriguing. Okay. Yeah, and I wanted to talk about it because I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I like all of Chuck Klosterman's books. I think he's a really uh, interesting writer and an mm-hmm. interesting guy. And um, he, does, he does a lot of nonfiction, and he's done some fiction. And then... Uh, this was kind of his blend, and I think I think it didn't quite get its due just because uh, it's such a weird concept. Um, and I think he, I heard, I listened to him on a few podcasts, and uh, you know, which shall not be named because there are no book podcasts other than this one. So don't <laughs> yes. don't go looking on the internet. This is the only. We one. are in a desert of book podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he would try to explain it, and I think he had a hard time explaining it, and it was his book. Um, he, But he mostly explained it by saying, like, if you like, you know, a short story book by George Saunders or Ann Patchett or something, it, this is not that. <laughs> okay. So I was like, okay, well, you've told us what it's not. <laughs> um, I guess this started out, he was basically trying to write a short story book. And for some reason he got on this idea of writing a hundred short stories that were a thousand words a piece. Exactly. Um, and then someone was like, wow, that sounds like a, a very weird and very Chuck Klosterman thing to do. And (laughs) Chuck Klosterman's response was, well, I am Chuck Klosterman. I was going to say, maybe we should mention some of his other projects because he's written some unusual books and people may not be familiar with him. Yeah. So uh, his most famous book is called Sex, Drugs and Cocoa Puffs. Um, It was uh, a very early entry into the idea of taking like a sort of academic critical look at very non-serious things. You know, like he wrote a sort of academic essay about uh, Saved by the Bell. (laughs) <laughs> and this came out in like the early 90s. So that was kind of an unusual thing to do. Um, it also is sort of famous. It had this uh, chapter that had a bunch of weird hypothetical questions that uh, he just kind of put in there. Like one of the hypothetical questions was, you know, if you could have one of these two things, you can have a three month uh trip in Europe where you have a full stipend that pays for everything and basically just travel in Europe or you can go to the moon for 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> which one do you pick, you know? And I have a feeling I know which one you would pick, and it's not the one I would pick. I think I'm the only person I've asked this question who picked the moon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I would have thought. <laughs> I, this is a, always a point of contention for me, because I'm like, in theory, if I made it my life's goal to spend three months in Europe, I could probably make that happen. You know, if that was like the biggest want, my biggest desire, I think I could make it happen. I don't think if going to the moon was my biggest desire that that's possible. (laughs) 
You know, I think you might be wrong because they are starting to take like regular people up onto these like SpaceX ships and going into like low orbit. Oh, I, so I don't think I don't know how far away from that we are. Believe me, I looked into that because they're taking, I think, uh, like a dozen people or something this year to the space station. And I mm-hmm. think it ends up you have to pay like 50 million dollars or something. Yeah. And yeah. It was funny you because they said that <laughs> you're like, a librarian. No. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I hope no one was listening to this for my financial advice, but uh, <laughs> it was. I read this article because it kind of outlined the cost, and it was like, here's how much it costs to spend one night on the space station, and it was less than two hundred thousand dollars, which I found both astonishing in its amount and reasonable. <laughs> I mean, it's an expensive place to build, so I can see how, you know. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I guess I don't know what the most expensive hotel on Earth would be, but maybe $100,000 is, I don't know. Um, anyway, so he wrote a book. His first book was called Fargo Rock City, and it was about 80s hair metal. Um, he wrote a book called I Wear the Black Hat, which is a kind of about... Uh, basically what evil is you know what do we consider evil why do we consider this thing evil and this thing not evil um he wrote a book called but what if we're wrong and uh that's probably my favorite of his it's about uh basically questioning everything and saying that like historically we've been wrong a lot more than we've been right Mm -hmm. um but also Every period, every contemporary period in its time thinks that it's correct. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and he, I mean, people were killed for saying that the earth, you know, went around the sun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, he's like, that was an extremely popular idea at that time. Um, and uh, now it's like an extremely unpopular idea. Um, so it kind of explores like, what things we might be wrong about. Um, An example, he talks about like Sousa marches and how this was like the dominant form of music at the time and blah, blah, blah. And now it's basically non-existent. That kind of music is not like a type of popular music that people (laughs) look into. So if you'd Mm -hmm. ask someone at the time, you know, like what kind of music people would be listening to in the future, they would probably have some kind of march in there and, that can prove to be not true. Right. Um, anyway, he uses a bunch of examples like that. So, uh, Raised in Captivity is a bunch of short stories where what happens is something unusual happens and then it kind of plays out in a very uh, realistic way. So I'll give you some of the examples. One of the stories is about a guy is on an airplane And he goes to use the restroom in the airplane and there's like a Jaguar in the bathroom. Um, So he just closes the door and goes back to his seat and then basically has a conversation with the guy in the seat next to him about like, uh, well, do you think that actually what you saw was true? And they kind of like puzzle out. Is it theoretically possible that a Jaguar could get on an airplane? Like, how would that happen? Um, (sighs) What are what is the meaning like? What's the consequence of this being true versus like what's the consequence of you telling someone about it and then it's not true? Um, huh. Another one that's maybe a little less abstract 
that was pretty interesting was uh, there's a story about a band and they they make a song um, that for some reason, unbeknownst to them and basically everybody, becomes very popular among white power groups. Um, I don't know how I ended up talking about two groups that in, or two books that involved that, but here we are. Um, Do you have something you want to confess, Peter? No. <laughs> uh, or maybe yes, I'm not involved in a white power group <laughs> in oh, any way. Good. I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> yeah. And I'd hate to lose a friendship. Do not have a desire for that. If you're listening to this and thinking maybe that I'm putting out the signal that I'm interested, <laughs> go ahead and don't send me that email. <laughs> do not need it. Do not want it. We're good. You know, let's move on. <laughs> um, okay. So the song becomes inexplicably like an anthem, basically, for like the white power groups. Um and there's, you know, zero lyrical content that has anything to do with anything race related or even reality. Um, and it's a conversation. The story is a conversation among the band members about like, what are we going to do about this? Mm-hmm. You know, and some of the band members are like, maybe we should just basically move on and pretend like it doesn't exist. Um, and some of the band members are like, uh, should we just continue playing it in concert or not? You know, like what, what's, what do we do? Um, yeah. Should we sell album? Should we stop selling this album? Like, should we, what, what, and trying to figure out how this happened. Um, you know, it makes me think about, uh, that Beatles song, Helter Skelter. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot like that. Right. Where it's like, well, that got interpreted in a very bizarre way, but <laughs> now it's like, it, uh, you can't untie those two things, right? Right. So anyway, there's a lot of stories like that. I think one of my favorites was about a, uh, I think he must have been a college football coach. And uh, he was a, a coach who had never played football and really had no interest in football. Um, but he kind of devised mathematically a play that would advance the ball a certain number of yards every time. And kind of did the math on it and figured out, like, if we just run this play perfectly every time, we will win. Um, It will result in completely unexciting games. It will be, like, the weirdest plan that anyone's ever implemented. And it kind of destroys college football because everyone can just choose to do that or not. Um, And then the story is presented as one of the former players talking about it. And... The really weird thing is that, like, it running this play this way all the time and doing this rewired the players' brains in some weird way, and all of them have gone on to be super successful. Um, you know, like one is a like a tech billionaire, one is like a, the president or something like that, and they can kind of all trace back their their sort of change in mindset to uh, this coach. Uh, so it's just like bizarre things happen. And then if let's say this bizarre thing happened, how does it play out? Hmm. Okay. Um, it's, it's almost also, like a journalistic approach to like wacky ideas. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like uh, if you wanted to write a short story that was a hundred percent realistic, except for one element. Um, and it also, it has a really good audio book. It's read by like a full cast. So I think uh, like Mike Berbiglia reads a story 
I think uh, maybe John Stewart reads a story. It's kind of a, a little star-studded cast, so it's pretty fun. Cool. Um, I highly recommend it. I know this is like a it's it's just such a weird thing to explain and talk about, <laughs> <laughs> but I appreciate it. It's it's like fun to read. The stories are pretty short too, so if you're someone who likes to read a story that doesn't take you know five nights before you're going to bed, like you could just read one real quick before you go to sleep or something. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, if you wanted a book to like keep in the car. So whenever you're in a waiting room, you could probably plow through a story every time you're in a waiting room for 10 minutes. And then uh, the stories aren't connected. So you don't have to read the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that is one of the benefits of a short story. It is. It's kind of nice. And, you know, these are, they're interesting enough too that like the, uh, I don't know, the style of it or the uh, the characters or whatever don't have to be appealing. He doesn't really have to establish like characters every time mm-hmm. because they're just sort of real scenario. It's more like yeah. a story about a scenario than it is about a person or something right. like that. So I don't know if that if that sounds appealing, if you're at least intrigued by it or maybe if you've read short stories and you're like, eh, I don't like what's the point of this story. Um, maybe this would be a good direction to try. Yeah. Well, and if you get it from the library, you can try it. And if it's not for you, no loss. Yeah, it was free. And you don't even have to spend much time on it to decide you don't like it. Yeah. (laughs) What a selling point for a book, huh? (laughs) You can decide that this stinks really quickly. (laughs) Well, there you go. Okay. So uh, just just to summarize, the books that I talked about were... uh, uh, Raised in Captivity by Chuck Klosterman, and I'm not even going to do the subtitle. <laughs> and then the other one was uh, Black Sad by, hang on, I have to go back to it. I have it written down. Black Sad by Juan Diaz Canales. Nice. And I talked about Blacktop Wasteland by S.A. Cosby. And It Happened One Summer by Tessa Bailey, which will be out in July. Oh, okay. Um, That's the one that's not quite out yet. Yeah, that one's out July 13th. And we have Tessa Bailey in the library already. So I'm certain that that this book will be added to the collection when it's released. Um, S.A. Cosby, the Blacktop Wasteland book, is already in the collection. Um, Just print, unfortunately. No e-books. Good deal. So we have some... Older stuff, some newer stuff, some stuff mm-hmm. that's newer to the United States, but not uh, the world. <laughs> really covered the bases. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, I, some I, interesting titles. Definitely. Um, I look forward to our next conversation and uh, your next joke. Thank you. Yes, I'm, I'm trying to find the good ones for you. You really raised the bar going with a Spider-Man joke. So, uh, you know. I thought it would peel. Yeah. Oh, that's a win for me. That's a big win. <laughs> better than Ikea? Or not Ikea. Better than Scandinavian? Yeah, I, for me. Wow. You know, I don't know for everybody, but for me, that's a win. Okay. Know your audience. Yeah. I mean, that's the way, the way through my heart, the way to my heart is through a web shooter. Is that the right way to say that? <laughs> or giant rocks. Or yeah, just a big rock. <laughs> <laughs> or it has to be heavy. <laughs> right. None of, none of this pumice. No. Get that out of here. I don't even want to talk. Pumice can take a walk. <laughs> All right. We'll see you no, next time. It was time. good talking to you. Yeah, you too. <laughs>
Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye.